Welcome to the Christian Music Ministries podcast, featuring interviews, stories, thoughts on music and worship and life in the Spirit, as well as the latest news from CML. Welcome to the fourth episode of the CMM podcast. I'm Helen, and it's wonderful to have you with us. This month, we're going to have yet another of, of Roger's interviews that he does for his Heart and Soul radio show on Wednesday evening, 6 to 8 p.m. on southbirminghamradio.com. Um, this month, we're going to be listening to Roger's interview with Paul Field. But before we get on to that, just a little bit of news, what's been going on here. Um, Roger and Mary and Annie came back from a wonderful Music Week, Wildfire Music Week at Rydal Hall in Ambleside in the Lake District. Um, and they had a, had a brilliant time. One of the things about that week was on the final performance, um, many of the people in the choir decided to wear pink in tribute to our dear Barry Rennick, who sadly passed away a year and a half ago now. He would have always been at that Music Week and he always wore a pink shirt for the final performance. So that was a really moving tribute. And then the week was followed up by Spirit Works in Barrow and Furnace. And also the CMM Choir are getting on really well with their productions of From Pharaoh to Freedom. They're halfway through now. Um, they've performed already in Edgebaston, Halesow in Marston Green and Water Orton. Um, and they've got four more Pharaoh productions to go. So do be praying for them. I'll give you more details of the, the next ones coming up at the end of this podcast. Um, so... Now on to the interview with Paul Field. He's, he's got a special place in my heart because I grew up attending Easter people when I was younger and um, that is linked with Share Jesus International. And, and Paul Field, he wrote a, a number of musicals in conjunction with Stephen Deal and Rob Frost and, and we often perform them at Easter people. And uh, um, I think one of the most famous ones there was Hopes and Dreams, but there was also one called Burning Questions and and others beyond that. Um, So I'm really interested to hear what Paul has to say. So on with the interview. There's a small town somewhere on the map of my heart It's the hardest place to find Because the signs aren't clear And the road is dark But its name is peace of mind It's such a hidden location Nobody's sure If it's miles away or just down the line But it's the one destination We're all looking for A town called Peace of Mind One more weary pilgrim with a tale to tell One more dreamer walking the line One more traveler searching for a vacant hotel In a town called Peace of Mind That was Small Town, and that featured my guest this week on Heart and Soul, Paul Field. Paul, welcome to Heart and Soul. Thank you. Lovely to be here. It's a privilege and a thrill, Paul, to have you, and we've managed to uh, track you down in this (laughs) small Devonshire village. Paul, you've written many songs. You're known as a singer and a songwriter and all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. How would you sum up your music career so far? Long. Long. (laughs) I mean, you know, the thing is that, Roger, I mean, I've been 
this will be 42, 43 years, I think, that I've been professionally working as a songwriter and musician. And I think, you know, I've been hugely blessed because for a start, it's, it's like being able to make a living, well, up and down living, but out of your hobby. Yeah, doing something you really enjoy and still yeah. getting paid for it. Yeah, occasionally getting paid for okay. it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's been great. And it's been very diverse. You know, obviously I've done a, a lot of work within Christian music, yeah, yeah, both in the UK and in Europe and in Nashville and in the States, writing um, for other people, um, yeah. you know, which that really all began back at the beginning of the 80s when, when Cliff... Dear Sir Cliff, I should yeah, say, yes. you know, first recorded one of my songs. And I'd never had the idea up to that point that other people would actually... And, and what was that song, We're Dying to Know? Thief in the Night. Thief in the you Night, you that? wrote that song yeah. and Cliff recorded it. Yeah, I mean, we would, we'd been touring with him at the time with Nutshell. Yes. Um, and he'd heard us do it and he quite liked it. And, of course, in the way of these things, I never knew he was going to do it until I got a phone call from Bill Latham, his manager yes. back then. Yes. He said, oh, what do you think of Cliff's version of Thief in the Night? And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> I said, oh, he's put it on the new album. I said, well, I didn't know. And he That's, put three songs on that album. That must have been a wonderful surprise for you. It was. And I remember I went out and celebrated. It tells you how long ago it was. I went out and bought a Sony Walkman, <laughs> which is the height of technology in yes, those days. In those days. Yeah, it was lovely. So what year are we talking about there, Paul? It's, that's got to be about, I think the album's hanging up in the water, about 1980, something like that. Yeah. Probably it's got to be... However long ago that is, 35 so did, years ago. Did that take you into a, a new episode and a new field of work or ministry? It, it did in a way because, firstly, you know, it, it opened my eyes to the fact, which, again, I'd never really... So all I'd ever written was for my, was really for Nutshell. You know, I had yeah. never thought of writing songs for other people. And suddenly, you know, I, I kind of got the idea that actually there were a lot of people out there doing that back in the 80s. Not so many now, that's another story. So, yes, it was like another string to my bow. I started actively trying to write for other people as well as for myself. Because, I mean, Nutshell finished as a group round about the same time in the 80s. Yes. What was the aim of Nutshell then? Well, Nutshell, we began, you know, back, I mean, the first album was 1974. It's a yeah. very long time ago. And, you know, in the context of that, the idea of contemporary Christian music back then was very new. Yes. You know, there were still plenty of people who thought, you know, drums, electric instruments oh, yes, were, were you, of the devil. And you, you know. mustn't bring a guitar into no, church, no, no, sort of thing. That's right. And but you know, there was it was the time of the singer songwriter. It was the time of Joni Mitchell, Paul Simon, those kind of people who I love to listen to. And so, you know, around the same time there were a few Christian writers, one by the name of Graham Kendrick, who we knew <laughs> very well. Yes. Um, Adrian Snell, Garth Hewitt, um, various Bands, groups, Parchment, if you yes, remember them. I do remember Starting out. Yes. And because it was, you know, there was a really thriving circuit, if you like, yeah. where almost every church had its own coffee bar or evangelical outreach event, which sadly you don't see much of these days, but everywhere would have like a, a youth event once a month or so and they'd have a group. Uh, the idea being to actually share your faith. and. Yeah. And that's what Nutshell started off definitely very much trying to do through the songs. Right, so bringing us into the present now, are you still effectively got the same aim? Yes, I don't think, if I'm honest, I'm not as evangelical as I was back in those days. I think, you know, it, it, I mean, you do change as you get older. And yeah. I think back then, I probably saw everything very black and white. 
you know, as right. a young Christian. Yeah. As you, you think, do. this yeah. is this, God says this, this yeah. is the answer to that, this is the answer to that. As you get older and go through life and you start to gather the baggage of disappointments, grief, bereavement, things that yeah. aren't you weren't expecting to happen, yeah. you yeah. suddenly realise that actually life isn't always that simple. It doesn't mean God's not there, but it's not quite as black and white and straightforward as you thought it was in your youth. So still, very much, when I do play and perform, my songs, you know, no one's going to be in any doubt about my faith at the yes. end of the night, whether I'm playing in a pub or in a church. But perhaps different ways of expressing But perhaps a more it. subtle way, and perhaps yeah. Yeah. simply ways that hopefully can get alongside people more. But, you know, because I, I passionately believe that, you know, God just isn't just involved in this kind of churchy spiritual thing but in every in the details of our lives yeah. in, the, in the difficulties we have um you might want to l- look at this you might have heard this but i just heard a song this week actually which i've never heard before and it's amy grant yes it's not her song it's someone else but it's called better than a hallelujah better than, than a, a hallelujah, hallelujah. And wow. I won't tell you all it, but you, you should check well, that out. We're going to listen to that. Maybe on Heart and Soul, we'll get a chance to play it's that. A great song. Let's just go back yeah. for a minute. We've played already Small Town. Yeah. Tell us about that and your part in that. Well, Small Town, I mean, the, the short story is it's kind of funny way in which the song can actually come out of nothing. It was, um, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I travel these days, I completely rely on a sat-nav. Yes, Always. indeed. You know. Yes, so do I. Um, I even keep it on when I know where I'm going sometimes, just for the company, you know. It keeps... <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. But I was going somewhere, I don't remember where it was exactly, you know, it was, it, I was late, it was dark, it was rainy, and the sat-nav, whatever it is, wasn't working. But I managed to find this old map on the floor of the car. So I'm sitting there in the dark, struggling to work out where I was going. And actually, this first line for the song literally just popped into my head, which was, there's a small town somewhere on the map of my heart. And I thought, you know, songwriters grab it, they're like oh, magpies, yes. you grab it ideas. And I thought, that's a nice line. Yeah. And that's where the song started. I mean, I think I finally got to where I was going, but I yeah. might have been late, but I got a song out of it as well. <laughs> Are you saying that virtually all the songs you've written have come from some life situation? Yeah, I, I think that's probably pretty true to say, yeah. mostly. Yeah, I guess that's um, how it happens. I mean, yeah, I mean, there have been times, you know, when I was writing a lot out in Nashville with EMI, which is like... You know, it's very much songwriting as a job, doing three sessions a day with different writers, and they come along and say, well, this artist is looking for this kind of song and whatever. Then it's more a craft. Yes. You know, you are trying to tailor-make it for someone yes. rather than it be right from your heart. You know, yep. There is a difference. Yep. You know, I've, I find there's the songs that I've done, if you like, for a living, and the songs that I've done because I have to do them. Yes. So, yeah. You've written another song called Amelia. Oh, yeah. I guess this is coming from something very personal. This is really personal because this is, I mean, this is from, you know, this is the most recent album I've done. And, uh, well, in fact, Amelia's almost five now. But this This, is my first granddaughter. Your first granddaughter? Well, my only granddaughter. I have a granddaughter and a grandson. Yeah. And 35 years ago, when my son Joel was born, I wrote a song called Joel's Song, which is on whatever album that was on. Yes. And so kind of when Amelia was born, it just, you know, it, it felt very, you know, obviously it's a hugely moving experience to become a grandparent, or I found it so. I'd agree, yes. And uh, so it was inevitable I was going to write something. Wow. So this was written for Amelia. Child of my child, daughter of 
You're listening to Heart and Soul. I'm Roger Jones, and my special guest this week is Paul Field. Paul, that song that we have just listened to, Amelia, uh, written about your new, your first grandchild. Yep. I mean, I've since had a grandson as well. Yep. And the problem is, I haven't written a song for him Ooh, yet. So perhaps you need to. Perhaps I need to before he gets old enough to realise <laughs> his uh, sister's got one, and he has. You've had a very, or are having a very varied career with lots of stuff that you've done. What What do you yeah. think is the nature of your songwriting and your music making? Oh, that's hard. I mean, it's. I've I've always tried, even since the early days, to be really honest about what I do, and actually. I still come back to a quote that someone said to me right back in, must have been 1974, 75, when um, the first Nutshell album came out. I think it was actually it was the second Nutshell album. And it, that was released in America. And the American record company came back to word who it was over here, my yes. record company, and said, yeah, I really like this album, you know, but, but why does this guy write about problems? <laughs> and my chap in England very wisely said, he said, well, Christians do have problems as well. And the American guy said, yes, he said, but they don't write about them. And I've always thought that was a real mistake. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it's not that you want to go on the problems, but, you know, these days, and, you know, we haven't, took, we may well end up talking a bit about a lot of modern worship songs, but so many deal with very positive, very personal relationship aspects of faith. Yes. Whereas, you know, I'm looking at, well, look at the Psalms. I mean, that's, that's the... Songs of Fellowship of the Bible. Isn't it? Yes, yes. You know, and along, along with the really positive praising psalms, there's real struggles and, and laments. And grumblings. And, and grumbling. Yeah, and you look, yeah. God, I'm doing the right thing. I'm praying and praying, but you're not listening. 
And, you know, like I said a bit earlier, I mean, 30, 40 years ago, I probably wouldn't have understood that. But I, I do now. Are these life lessons? Yeah, they are life lessons. They're exactly that. Does life lessons have to come into worship? Yes, I think it should do. I think it should do. And, and I think there's a big element of what I hear these days, which is, is kind of one-dimensional. But perhaps we'll come yeah, back to yeah. that. I mean, for me, as I say, it, it's about real issues. That, um, you know, that we, and, you know, where we are here now, I know you had a brief chat with my wife, Ruth, when you came in. And, and, you know, essentially, Ruth is brilliant. I mean, she didn't really say that, kind of doing church here. Yes. Because part of what happens here is, is you know, there's a lot of artistic friends who we have who, for one reason or another, need a break, need yeah. a retreat almost. Yeah. And, and we use this quite often for people. There's no pressure. It's no big program of doing things. It's like, well, do you want a cottage for a few days? So it's a little retreat centre. Yeah. 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 In, so, in a small way. And that's mainly... Ruth, because she's, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm quite, actually, believe it or not, quite a shy person, <laughs> whereas Ruth is terribly sociable and is yeah. brilliant at kind of drawing people out, you know, in a, in a good way. So our work, you know, my, our work, well, it is our work, really, has changed. And certainly over the last 10 years or more, I've got much more concerned with kind of social, I can't even say it, justice yeah. issues. Yes. I mean, it kind of began when... More than a lot more than 10 years ago, I went to India with Garth Hewitt for Christian Aid to look at the issues of the Dalit people, the untouchables. Yeah. Yes, um, and that quite changed me because that was on the back of a trip. I think one of my first trips to Nashville, where I'd been taken to Nashville, wined and dined, five star hotels, yeah. marvelously looked after. And a week later, I was in some little village in the back of nowhere in India. And it was, you know, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but a life changing experience. And how has this come out in your music? In a sense that I decided more and more that I didn't want to write what, what I perhaps facetiously call kind of fluffy pop songs, but actually I wanted to write things that would challenge. And, you know, there are ways in which music can, can make people aware and make people think about social issues, mm. much more than just statistics or anything else. And I got involved in 2006 with um, Hull University, uh, which was the home of William Wilberforce. Okay. 2007 was the bicentennial of the abolition of slavery. So I'd set out to write a musical, you know, and if you've seen a film Amazing Grace, you'll know that the story of Wilberforce, Clarkson, Equiano is an amazing story in itself. But it's not all triumphalistic, is it? No, it's not. And also what I discovered when I went to Hull, because they have I know, their own department for the study of slavery, the Wilberforce Institute, and I met the, the top banana there who was marvellous but he said before I was leaving he said of course you won't forget the unfinished business of the slave trade and until that point which we're talking 10 12 years ago almost yeah. I hadn't even thought about modern slavery I hadn't thought it existed but boy it really does big time you know 27 30 million people around the world in some kind of slavery um, at least I mean 15,000 are kind of official figures in the UK in the but UK it's got to be four or five times that yeah. and that's domestic slavery that's sexual slavery it's oh so many different ways different yes. kinds of thing and and you know they're obviously asylum seekers refugees are prime targets because you know they are trafficked here in yes. the little boats they pay all their money to get here yeah. you know it's a form of slavery yeah. so that became a very important issue to me and Ruth and I did a project called Cargo was the original project um 
which I did independently, I have to say, but Hull University were very supportive. And then subsequently, they wanted to do like a resource for schools, basically, because, mm. you know, the Wilberforce Institute, it's a great place, but it's, you know, it's all PhD students. It's very dry statistics. So they wanted kind of music and video that would hopefully speak to kids in school. And um, we did a project called Stolen Lives, which is available online. It's free to download, to look at, to use in schools, use anywhere, stolenlives.co.uk. And um, one of the songs talks about um, two different kinds of modern slavery, really, which, you know, very different forms of slavery to 250 years ago, but slavery nonetheless, and it's a song called Tumbling Down. The song Tumbling Down, written by my guest on Heart and Soul this week, Paul Field. Paul, you've, you've talked a little bit, what well, a lot about some of your own varied songwriting. But um, how do you see songwriting generally going on, particularly in the church these days? Well, that is interesting, Roger, because, I mean, you know, I think it's probably fair to say that you and I have been around quite a while. We've been around a and while. And seen, you know, it's... since the 70s. Yeah. The way we've used music in church yeah. has changed enormously. Back when I started, you know, there was nothing. I mean, no, no. got gospel music, if you like. And then we had youth praise. We had youth praise. <laughs> that Number was 36, big... can it be true? You remember that? I, I love that. It just just four, four chords. Four I could chords. play that That's on right. the guitar. That's yes. right. Everybody loved that. It got <laughs> yeah. played to death because it was so Didn't easy. Yes, yes. But that was, that was quite a breakthrough, yes, in a way. Yeah. And, and then, of course, you know, subsequently over the years, we've had some wonderful new worship resources. You know, I mean, Graham... Kendrick has, has been amazing. Beautiful, wonderful. In that yeah. He's written some of the best stuff there is. You know, there are people now still writing songs that will last you at town and writes wonderful yeah. things. I mean, lots of people do. But the, the kind of problem I've had to live with, I mean, one thing is a very practical thing, is a lot of the modern songs we sing are, um, are almost impossible for a congregation. They're almost written for a soloist. Very often a tenor. The key's wrong. <laughs> you know, Paul, I could... 
I could repeat this lots yeah. of times. The times I've heard people say this. Yeah. But I think, yes, you're right, yes. So yeah. why and is this, Paul? What's going well, on? Well, again, I'm careful how far I... But, you know, we live in... These days, we live very much in, you know, we call it the celebrity culture. Yes. And there's a real element of, like, the X Factor and Britain's Got Talent in our worship industry. And I use the word advisedly, industry, which it is. You know, I've yeah. worked a lot in America. Yes. And it's a massive, multi-billion dollar industry. Now, there's beautiful, wonderful, dedicated people in it. But where there's that kind of industry, there are opportunities, I wouldn't even say for corruption, but to actually... Do things perhaps not always for the right motives. All right, bring build out, build your own kingdom. Yeah, almost. Yeah, and so we we have, you know, kind of superstar worship leaders, um, and you know when I was travelling a lot in Nashville, you know, there was a massive church on every corner, and I'd go to services and there'd be lights and drums and smoke and amazing bands and stuff, and it was a gig. Yes, and I'm call me old fashioned, but I don't want worship to be a gig. You know, if you want to do a gig, go out and get yourself a gig. Yes. Worship leaders, in the best definition of it, should be invisible. They're there to open the way for a congregation to reach God. Not to look at them, yep. but, but to reach God. Very, very difficult thing to do, which is partly why I don't do it. You yeah. know, because I, I am too much, if you like, of a solo control person. I've never been good at playing in worship bands. Um, I... I Basically, I cannot. I can, I can barely remember my own songs, let alone anybody else's. <laughs> yes, yes. And so, part of the problem for me is when it becomes a performance. I mean, I've heard the word performance worship yes. you know, quite seriously used, and to me, that's ultimate oxymoron. Yeah, you know, yeah. the two words cannot go together. Also, the idea that worship is all about music, which it isn't. You know, you sit in church and. You know, you do prayers and you do an instruction and you, and you have a reading or whatever, and then someone stands up and says, now we'll move into a time of worship. And I'm thinking, well, what have what we been doing for the last 10 minutes? That, that, that's absolutely right. You Paul, know. how do we deal with you and I having been about for a little while? How do we deal with the, the crisis of trying to be objective as we see it now mm-hmm. and also not being one of the younger generation yeah. and who are crying out to worship? How do we assess what's right? It's, it's very difficult because, you know, you, you think, you know, I'm going back probably, you know, to what my father thought of what I was doing 40 years ago. And it, it is very difficult. I think one of the things that does sadden me, though, is there's a kind of polarisation almost in our churches, where there are churches for young people and churches for old people, you know, so the kind of university type age, young 30s, <clears throat> all go to kind of Hillsong's Vineyard, all that. Whereas we still have faithful Methodists, Anglicans, whatever, and that doesn't feel right because the church is a family. Yes. You know, I remember, you know, we, we, I was probably very fortunate when, when I was a teenager and a young, younger man that, you know, we had a pastor who was really understanding, really um, encouraging for the creative arts. But there's always a friction between, you know, the young people and the old people. Should, but it's healthy. It should be healthy. That's, should be that sounds somehow. like a family. Yeah, there's going to be it, friction. It's exactly it's like a family at Christmas. Yeah. You know, hopefully that doesn't all fall out and end up thumping each other. Yeah. But they can actually talk about it. But you know, I, I would, I have huge respect for people who are trying to be worship leaders and and leading churches because, you know, music probably right back to the days of Sankey and Wesley has always caused controversy. You know, and Wesley pinched local folk songs, you know, for, from the pubs. And that would have been frowned on at the time, yeah, I guess. of course. You know. So it's difficult. I mean, I, I just don't feel comfortable with a lot of the 
as I say, one-dimensional. There's so many of the new songs, apart from their unsingability, um, you know, they have all different syllable counts. I mean, you know this as well as I do. The, yeah, the I mean, I, I have to be honest, yeah, I think worship. you're right. I, there's sometimes I look at songs and I think, I wish they'd spent another hour crafting yeah. that. Well, that's exactly <laughs> right. You know, instead of, you know, it's like half written. It's like I look at them and I think, I wish you'd finished that. Yeah. Do you think the, the emergence of domestic technology has, has created a problem that anybody can sit down and do a song well, yeah. and it can sound reasonably all right? Well, that... That's not just true of Christian music. I mean, that obviously across the board now, the, the whole way of making music has changed radically. Now, there's a big plus for that because it enables people to have a creative outlet, which they never had before. Yeah. You know, I mean, even my small studio we're sitting in now, I mean, 40 years ago, I couldn't have dreamt Would, no, of having yeah. this. No. And now so many people have got a studio in their bedroom, you know, yeah. which is actually rotten for songwriters like me because they're all writing their own songs and they don't need me. But there you go. I, I understand your feelings. That's how the world has yes. changed. Yes. What do you think if we came down to a nutshell there to try and get it right, and knowing that we're never going to fully get worship right this side of heaven, what are the basic essentials of music and worship and sung worship, whatever style we're coming from? Oh, that's hard. If I use one word, it would be service. I mean, it's like service. it has to be kind of the songs have to be servants for the congregation. You know, yes. the worship leaders have to be. Um, your, your sole purpose is to kind of help open the curtains, if you like, so people can approach God. Yeah. You know, it's not so we can come out of church and say, what a fantastic time of worship we had because we were all singing. You know, and it's like this thing about the age thing, you know, because you can, you know, so many times I go to a church, they're singing new worship songs and most of the congregation can't sing them. The band's having a great time, but everybody's <laughs> just sitting there going, oh, I don't know this yeah. one, you know. And then suddenly they'll play Be Thou My Vision or something. Yeah. And everybody goes, oh, great, I know this. This you know makes sense. One, yeah. Also, lyrically, some of the new stuff, you know, I, I can't put any other words in it. Banal, yeah. you know, and it's like it, it's half written. It's You know, I always say to people, I do a lot of songwriting workshops. And one of the golden rules is like with lyrics is never say that'll do. Because it won't, if that's the best. You, can do. Yeah. you know, you have to say, this is the best I can get it. If you have to change it 20, 30, 40 times, change it so it sounds right, the meaning's right, the poetry's right, all that. You know, I'd like to take some of our worship leaders and take them on a course, a secular <laughs> songwriting course, for a year wow. and say, right, you're going to go and write great songs. I don't want you writing worship songs. I want you writing great lyrics, great tunes, and then come back and put what you've learned into serving God in your worship songs. Yeah. This sounds absolutely amazingly challenging and I think very <laughs> yeah. wise words. We need to spread this word a bit. I think, Paul, that there's a song you wrote called Faith Town. Yeah. What's that about? Well, that's kind of echoing back a bit to what I said a little while ago about how I think we change over the years. You know, when I was young, so much was black and white. And as you get older, I mean, things happen to rock your faith, basically. And, you know... Sort things of have happened to you. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it's no secret. I mean, I've I've battled with depression um you know we've had illness issues between us and they hit you out the blue yeah and you think and, and of course depression is a really difficult one for christians because you're not supposed to be depressed oh you're the times i hear this the joys yes. of the lord yeah. yeah so it's a double whammy yeah you feel guilty because you're depressed and then because you feel guilty you get more depressed yeah and then because you're depressed you get more guilty it's a tough one but you know that's something that some way in our music in our arts we ought to be, be dealing with yeah. not saying it's easy 
but you know life isn't all Jesus we celebrate your victory because sometimes it's not a victory faith town is a bit like that it's a specific thing that you don't need to know all the details but you know a health issue that hit us as a couple out of the blue yeah and you think why is this happening everything was going really well you know and actually what essentially the song's saying is sometimes you can't have an answer for it all you can do is just keep believing and keep holding on it sounds a bit like the psalmist who also had not always an answer to his questions no no. Yeah, and was the psalmist depressed at times? At times, he definitely like was. Yeah. So, Faith Town, yeah. you you wrote this in a dark time. Uh, it, it, or were you coming out of it? Yeah, I was coming definitely coming out of it because the, the actual you know issues had kind of been resolved. But it was a time of worry, and and thinking, you know, well, you know, as I say, well, actually, this shouldn't be happening. You know, why is why is God letting this happen to me? Kind of thing. That yeah. simple. And sometimes, you know, I still wouldn't say I've got an answer. I wouldn't give you a pat answer and say, well, now I've come out of it. I understand exactly why. I don't understand exactly why. Mm -hmm. But I know that our faith was hanging by a thread, but it brought us through, you know, and we're still there, even though we can't, you know, that's the thing about faith. If you could explain it, it wouldn't be faith, would it? That's right. right. And without doubt, there wouldn't be any faith anyway. We're going to listen to that now. Faith Down by Paul Field. be trouble waiting round the bend just when you least expect it can sneak up behind you take you by surprise you never know what's coming next all of a sudden out of the blue the problem comes along all you take for granted uh, feels so right Suddenly all goes wrong Sometimes the world can play dirty tricks on you Life can take you unprepared Sometimes it may be good Sometimes it may be bad Sometimes it's downright stupid and unfair Welcome to Faith Town Where your doubts light up to me Here in Faith Town Unanswered prayers walk the street This is Faith Town The head and heart may disagree Living in Faith Town Sometimes all that you can do Is just believe Faith Town, song by Paul Field, and you're listening to Heart and Soul here on South Birmingham Radio. I'm Roger Jones. Paul, you've talked to us a bit about your views on Christian music. You've had a very varied career so far. I think what we'd really like to know is, um, how did it start? 
In a way, well, that's quite simple in a way. As I, again, I think I've already said, you know, back in the 70s, you know, in fact, before that, back in the end of, end of the 60s, middle of the 60s, you know, I was a teenager. I was starting to listen to music, singer-songwriters, yeah. whatever. I was very much a part of my local church, which is a Baptist church. So you were brought up as a Christian. Yes, I was, really, as far as anyone ever is. Yes, I mean, my dad ran the choir. That's where the music came from. You know, my mum ran the Sunday school. And I was very much involved in the youth club. And, uh, you know, we started a little band in the youth club just for fun. I started playing the guitar when I was about 13. And that was really only because my sister, who was six years older than me, had a boyfriend. And uh, obviously when they were sort of courting, they didn't really appreciate a 13-year-old hanging around. Playing Gooseberry, you mean? Yeah, exactly that. (laughs) So I I think my, well, he's now my brother-in-law, but back at the time, he played guitar a bit. And his way of getting rid of me was to give me an old guitar. (laughs) And he didn't really know what he was unleashing, I think. Wow. Because I loved it, you know. And I, I just, I played it every chance, like when I should have been, you know, revising for my O levels and all the rest of it. But I played it all the time. And, and you know, as I say, it was early days of Christian music and there were a lot of opportunities. So we gradually sang in our youth club, in other church youth clubs, whatever. We played at the very first Greenbelt Festival, um, which was basically on the back of a lorry. And from that, which would have been 1973, I guess, yeah. we were approached by... At that time, Norman Miller from Word Records um, to do an album. And that's what we did, and it went on from there. I was actually training as a teacher, as a pottery teacher, believe it or not. Not a music teacher? No, no, no I can't read a note. <laughs> Is that so? Well, yeah. I can read a note, but, yeah, but that's about it. So I can't you sight read. Okay. I can read chords, I can play by ear, yeah. and I can read a top line. Yeah. But that's about it. At that point, this was your way into music? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I love music, you know, I mean, I. From the minute I started playing the guitar, I loved it. And I went to teacher training college. I actually, it was a bit of an argument with my parents at the time because I turned down, or we as a group, turned down a tour with Larry Norman, who was his first tour in the UK. I had a choice, really. I went to college and pleased my parents because they thought I needed something to fall back on. And they were quite right yeah. with hindsight. So looking back, you think that was the right decision? Oh, yes, yeah. definitely. I was too young. Yeah, <laughs> Definitely. I think. <laughs> but um, so anyway, I mean, I taught for one year to qualify. And then in 1976, we went full time as a yeah. group, you know, and we, we toured, we did all kinds of stuff. We were very busy. And I think I'd already touched it's, on. This is with up, Nutshell. This is with Nutshell. Yeah. We ended up working with Cliff. Uh, we changed the name to Network. Uh, had a couple of goes at like the charts, which are fairly tumultuous flops. And then decided as a group, very amicably, to split. I went on doing solo things, mm-hmm. and around that time, started writing for other people. I've already said for yeah, Cliff. And, yeah. and so it has really been ever since. I mean, writing, production, a few live concerts, a, a real mixture of things. Some Christian, some country, some other things. Basically, as a self-employed musician, if someone says, can you write this? You know, can you write hip-hop? Or can you write this? You go, yeah, of course I can. Mm-hmm. And then you go away and work out how to do it. <laughs> Not yes. try to. Yeah. So it has been varied, and there have been huge lows because, you know, to be honest, I mean, for a long time, I only survived really because Ruth, my wife, had a steady job, you know, because there wasn't really much income coming in. And the only thing that changed that really was back in, ooh, about 1990. I had a song I'd written with some friends in Holland called Testify to Love. 
American group called Avalon um, took on and it was a massive, massive hit and won the Dove Award and all the rest of it. And, you know, a, a big hit in the Christian music market in America, yeah. I mean, it's huge. You're talking bigger than a secular hit here, you know. And it was recorded by a country singer. You know, it sold a lot of millions. Yeah. Yes. Big turning point in the sense that it opened a lot of doors. Yeah. It wasn't like suddenly a fortune came flooding in. It certainly helped, but it opened doors of opportunity, you know, in, in a way. Because, you know, the funny thing is when, when, when people know you've written a hit, sorry, I'm doing quote marks with my yeah. fingers here, <laughs> they think you're going to write another one next week. And suddenly all the things you've written in the past they were never interested in, suddenly they think are really good. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the way the business works. It is, it is indeed, um, yes. Yeah. So, you know, I had a whole period when I was working, essentially I was employed by EMI in Nashville as a songwriter. Yeah. I was commuting. We thought about moving there, I'm glad we didn't. But I was travelling so much then. And then the whole Christian music industry in the States really changed after 9-11, which I actually flew in to the States the evening before 9-11. Wow. And I woke up, turned the television on, and like, yeah. I thought this is a film of something I'm watching. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. But I how, think. How did it change? This was. I don't I, think we've realised this. I, I, you know, I personally think it changed a lot. Again, if you know some of the artists that, you know, I grew up alongside in the 80s, 90s in America, I mean, Amy Grant is a classic yeah. example, Michael W. Smith, were writing. Terrific songs, challenging songs, you know, the songs I liked to listen to and I liked to write. Whereas after 9-11, everything moved to being much more conservative, much more worship orientated. You know, everything had to be very clear cut for some reason. You know, it was kind of moving, well, in a very conservative direction, I think. And, and it all changed a bit for me. And that didn't really suit me. Um, and I didn't really probably suit them any longer so you know I'd, I'd left the deal with EMI but continued writing for other people and I started concentrating more and more as I said to you yeah. earlier on on specific projects like with the Daleks with Christian yeah. Aid like with yeah. Cargo um, other things and I haven't touched on either some of the musicals that some people may remember Rob Frost who was yes. a Methodist minister well Hopes and he, Dreams was one yeah when he played a massive part really in my career because he did, we did together I don't know how many six seven musicals yeah. which he was the visionary behind yeah. you know he got it all off the ground and they turned to thousands hundreds of thousands of people you know daybreak was the first yes. one 1983 and you know sadly rob's been taken from us much too early you know yet yes. another example of why does that happen? why does someone who's got so yes, much to give going you know, on but, yeah hey that's how it is and anyway so i hadn't done a solo album for about 10 years that hadn't been a project if you see what I mean, with a theme. Yeah. So this current album that you're playing tracks from, Being Myself, is is my first effort in that respect. Mm -hmm. And um, in many ways, it, it's kind of what it says on the tin. It's like, you know, when, when you're young, you really want everybody to like you. You want to say the right thing, all the rest of it. You're worried about what people think of you. As you get older, <laughs> firstly, you realise they weren't thinking about you anyway. <laughs> But secondly, you reach a point where you think, well, actually, I may be right, I may be wrong, but this is what, you know, God's put in my head. I'm going to say what I believe in. And if people don't like it, they cannot like it. And, you know, maybe I have in some ways alienated some departments, if you like, of, 
um, well, I don't know, the Christian world or whatever. Would you have you say you have possibly a fan club following? Because this is we have our groupies, <laughs> don't we? Yeah, I mean, fan club's a big word. I'm having yeah. kind of cult following. Yes, yes, <laughs> I suppose. But yes, I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, there are faithful people who you know come to my website. I mean, this being myself CD, I totally made myself. Actually, my son produced it, yeah. which is great. And you know, and I did it with a um, uh, what do you call it? Crowdfunding thing. Yeah. yeah. Purely without a record company or anything. I mean, I've sold three, three and a half thousand of them. So yeah, it's a small but perfectly formed. It's going well, yes. A lot of people, well, it, it is pretty well. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, you can only get it from the website, which I'm sure you'll plug for well, me. We're going to, well, finish, tell, tell us about it. How can people get it then, Paul? Well, the easiest way, I mean, people, you know, obviously a lot of people these days do download their music, yeah. but I appreciate that a lot of people like myself who are perhaps a little more mature, <laughs> like a physical CD as well. Yeah. So if they go to my website, they can order it. It's pretty simple to order it through the website. Yeah, and the website is? Is paulfield.com. Paulfield.com. That's yeah. pretty good and easy. www.paulfield.com. Yeah. Good to, to remember um, that, yeah. And, and a, they can buy a CD? Yeah, they can buy a CD or they can download oh, they it. Can download and it, it goes via a site called Bandcamp, which is actually really easy to use. Site. And there's loads of old stuff. All the old nutshell yeah. things are up on that site. Yeah. You can download them. Or with most of them, I can actually make a one-off CD because I can do it in the studio if people need it. Before you introduce this final song uh, of Being Myself, Paul, I think we'd want to say on behalf of Heart and Soul and for so many of us listening, can I dare say it's a cliche, but thank you for the music. <laughs> I think it... As long as you're not going to sing. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we need to do that because um, hopefully some people will say that of mine, but we want to say it of yours, well, the, the contribution you've made to the Christian music scene, but more than that, to people's lives. Well, thank you. And tell it, so thank you so much for being on Heart and Soul and spending the time. I'll tell you, as again, I'm sure you know, that is the most rewarding thing. At the end of the day, it's not whether you've got gold discs sitting on the wall or whatever. It's when somebody comes up to you after a concert and, and tells you a really personal story of how a song has spoken to them or helped them. And you think, that's marvellous, that's what it's all about. It makes it all worth yeah. it. Yeah. So this final song we're going to listen to, Being Myself, in a few words, who are you, Paul, being yourself? Yeah, well, it's, like I say, it's like not pretending to be what other people want me to be, not pretending to be something I'm not. So this is, you know, what you see is what you get, warts and all, you know, on the tin, this is me being myself. I try to be kind But I'm short of the mark Most of the time I can be generous And I can be mean But mostly I fall down the cracks in between I'm too good for the sinners Too bad for the saints But it's no use I'm ready, so 
interview between Roger and Paul Field and and huge thanks to Paul for allowing us to use excerpts of his music on this podcast. You can find out more about Paul on www.paulfield.com. On that website you can find his his music, his recordings um, and also there's an interesting thing called the piano blog where Paul simply sits at his piano and plays every day and um, and they're very moving improvisations. Um, just to finish off, a little bit more news from us looking forward. Um, we've been working really hard here at CMM on the Torn Curtain, uh, which is coming out in the autumn. And um, we've been getting the tracks ready. They're, a lot of them are, are nearly ready to have the voices put on. Um, and uh, Annie's even been in with some string players, which is really, really exciting. Um, and you're all invited to come and sing on the new album. Um, the recording evening is Tuesday, the 25th of June at Christchurch. Burnie Lane, Ward End, Birmingham, B82AS. We're aiming to start at half past seven. Um, and if you arrive a bit early, there'll be refreshments available in the hall beforehand. Um, do let me know if you're planning on coming so we make sure that we've got enough. Um, so that's events at cmm.org.uk. Just drop me a note to let me know. Um, you can also pre-order your turn- Torn Curtain book and CD now. Um, we want this recording to be as good as it possibly can be. Um, so your pre-order really helps that. It helps us with our cash flow. Um, if you can support us in that way, we'd be most appreciated. Um, you can do that on the CMM website. Um, and also we're taking bookings now for the Torn Curtain premiere. We're really excited about this. That's going to be on Saturday, the 12th of October, uh, later this year. And it's going to take the form of a workshop day. So you can come and sing in the choir. We'll teach you the musical in the day. Or you can play in the orchestra. Um, and then, of course, we need audience to come and watch. And the performance will be at 5pm. Um, should be finished by about half past six. If you're going to take part in the workshop day, um, we're starting at... Well, we're, registration begins at 10.30 to begin the workshops at 11. It'd be brilliant to see as many of you there as possible. And the only thing that remains is just to introduce to you our song of the month. Something a bit different this month. Um, Not long ago, Tim Jones, Roger's son, brought out his latest album, which is called Jones Got Rhythm. And he's taken some of his dad's songs and he's put his own spin on it, mostly a jazzy spin. And he's also involved his son, Michael Jones, who is a wonderful guitarist. And this is the last track from the album. um, And it's an arrangement of... If I Could Just Touch Him, which is from Jairus's Daughter. It's one of my favourite tracks. Um, and Michael has a stonking guitar solo at the end. So here it is, If I Could Just Touch Him. 